You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places, and filling all things, the treasury of blessings, and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back, Annie Mitchell, who is a little under the weather. A little under the weather. I have my tea here. So when you see me refilling copiously or, you know, don't mind me if I start coughing, I'll try not to cough over father. It's that time of year if you live in (laughs) Cincinnati. I was just taking a nice walk down the road and it was, I had put on a long sleeve shirt today and I realized it was too early in the year to put the long sleeve shirt on because I was a little overheated. Oh man. You know, cause it's about 78 degrees outside right now. Oh, that's not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah. Anyways, we suffer, we suffer, but here we are in Exodus chapter 22 on the 30th Sunday in ordinary time yes. talking about the L word love, love, my favorite topic. And, uh, yes. Annie, give us our passages here today. So we're talking about God, basically. Mm-hmm. He is love. Okay, here we go. First reading for the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time is Exodus chapter 22, verses 20 through 26. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 18, not the entire Psalm 18. It's a lot of verses. Mm-hmm. The gospel is Matthew chapter 22 verses 34 through 40, and the epistle is St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 5c, break it into thirds, ladies and gentlemen, verse 5c through 10. There you have it. Ready to go to Exodus, Father? Here we go, Exodus chapter 22, verse 20. Well, you know, Annie, I got to stop because a lot of our participants are using are using an RSV, which is what I use, the RSV Catholic edition. And in the RSV Catholic edition, it actually, this passage is verse 21, not verse 20. Oh. Now, why that is, I didn't go look it up. Sometimes it's a, it's a translation issue. The New American has a slightly different verse noting. You, you know, you should know that the chapter numbers and verse numbers are a late addition to your Bible. They're not part of the original scripture. So they're, they actually can be helpful, but they can also be detrimental because they start to break your, your focus up, especially chapter breaks. I hate chapter breaks because a yeah. lot of times they're just put in there and not in the helpful spot. But <laughs> nevertheless, here we are. If your Bible is chapter 22, verse 21 or verse 20, thus says the Lord, you shall not molest or oppress. Your... Go ahead. Here we go. All right. Yeah. With that, here we With go. That. Thus says the Lord, you shall not molest or oppress an alien. For you were once aliens yourselves in the land of Egypt. 
you shall not wrong any widow or orphan. If ever you wrong them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. My wrath will flare up and I will kill you with the sword. Then your own wives will be widows and your children orphans. If you lend money to one of your poor neighbors among my people, you shall not act like an extortioner toward him by demanding interest from him. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you shall return it to him before sunset, for this cloak of his is the only covering he has for his body. What else has he to sleep in? If he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. All right. So, Father, to get mm -hmm. our context here, I mean, he mentions that uh, you yourselves were once aliens in the land of Egypt. So that indicates to me that this is after the exodus from Egypt. Yeah. Um, if, you just, if you just look in your Bibles really quickly to uh, chapter 20, you'll see the Ten Commandments given. Mm -hmm. Okay. Given to Moses up on the mountain. Okay. Yeah. We still haven't come down with stones, but we're up on the mountain and God is revealing his will. But if you come back to chapter 19, verse one, on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone forth out of the land of Egypt. So now we're what? Give or take moon numbers, three months, yeah. three months. From Egypt to the base of Mount Sinai, called here, I think it's in our passage, it says he was on Mount Horeb. Maybe it's not in our exact passage, but nevertheless, here you're going to see it somewhere, Mount Horeb, but this is Sinai, okay? And so it's the same name. So here we are in, in chapter 19, verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mountain. Verse 17, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and, and so forth. Verse 18, and Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it, upon it in fire and so forth. And the people of God say, Moses, you go up for us. We're not going anywhere close. I'm not going near that. We're yeah. die most, you know. And um, so, so as some have, have conjectured, most likely what happened was Moses chapter 19, he, he says, get yourselves ready, right? So it's supposed to be fasting from sexual relations. They're supposed to be getting themselves ready to go. And then they see God and they're like, no, I don't think I'm going to see if I'm really ready. So uh, they may not have actually kept the fast. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that, and so Moses ends up going up the mountain and on chapter 20, verse one, and God spoke all these words saying, there you have it, right? And you have the 10 commandments, right? So it's within this context now that we have chapter 22, verse 20, and so forth. That's your context. They've arrived at Mount Sinai, but notice in your Bibles, hold your hand there and flip your, your pages with me all the way down to chapter 32. This is the golden calf incident, golden calf. Yeah. the sin of the golden calf. So, so we're, we're still, we're, we're in this kind of preliminary stage, right? The golden calf moment, which is crisis moment has not happened yet. This is still, we're still in a very positive relationship with the Lord in, in many ways. And, and so this basic catechesis this is a super important part of the catechesis now, because you, once you realize the golden calf incident has not happened, and we've talked about the importance of the golden calf incident from a, change in the priesthood to all these things that happen after that. 
so you almost have like this purified catechesis mm. this without the golden calf problem in which god says here's how you're going to act as my people without an expectation that they're not going to act that way right sure. so so if and then i can just add to that if there is any expectation that they're not going to act, act that way it's because who they already are not necessarily what they're currently doing who are they already are is that phrase i've said so many times that you're going to memorize which is stolen from scott Hahn. i think says it was harder to get it was easier to get israel out of egypt than to get egypt out of israel so god knows that they're coming with egypt in their heart right. so now the catechesis is to free them from that to free them from their identity as slaves in egypt with the oppressive you know egyptian pharaoh and maybe can add one more thing to that and that is that and i'm going to be very sensitive about how i say this but i think it's important when we're talking about the scriptures to understand human nature and especially fallen human nature you've heard of situations where people are held in like even today in bondage like honest to god and i'll be careful how i say it right people are kidnapped and they're held in bondage and made to do certain things and that over time, because of that psychological abuse, they actually identify with their abuser yeah. and become like almost willing, willing slaves. It's a very scary thing. And this is, and I'm just going to leave it at that. It's just such, it's so horrible. It's so disgusting. I'm going to leave it. I don't want to say anymore. But now we can apply that to Israel coming out of Egypt. In, it has Egypt in their heart. Because time and time again during the Exodus, they they yearn for going back, right? Right to be in that relationship again. But now God's got a new relationship. It's a relationship of freedom in which the people are supposed to live. Maybe I can add one more piece to that 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 thing. And that and that is what 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 oftentimes happens when someone hurts you, is that that the kind of natural or fallen natural response is to hurt another person, not even necessarily to hurt back the person that did it to you, but to turn to another person and do what was done to you. We've seen this in, this is very timely, by the way, regarding what's going on in the Holy Land. Yeah. And I know I've upset a lot of people by making comments regarding what I, what's going on there. I want to be very clear. I am not a supporter of terrorism. I am not a supporter of Hamas. I am not a supporter of Islam. I, but you need to understand that not every Palestinian is a terrorist and not every Palestinian is Muslim. There are a lot of Christian Palestinians. In fact, there's Jewish Palestinians that live in a state of, of second-class citizenship in Israel because what's going on there is an ethnic cleansing that's taking place. And I, I share all that with you because if you if you know what the what the Israelis did in 1948 to the Palestinian people, you'll realize that what they did was very similar to what the Nazis had done to them. They went into Palestine and and like there's there's mass graves that have been uncovered. They walked into villages and slaughtered whole villages of, of, of Palestinian people. If you want to know more about that, you can read. One of my favorite books, Blood Brothers by Archbishop Elias Shakur. That's giving us way off our, 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 our topic, but our but it's ap applicable. Yeah. It's applicable because they're going to come out and they're going to, God knows that they're going to tend to do what was done to them. And that's the, the center of, of the catechesis. Well, that is exactly 
what I wanted to ask next is why is he making these particular commands? I mean, there's, I mean, I know that this is yeah. in a long list of other commands, but it's just so interesting the the commands that he sets forth here. Yeah, well, in, in every in every instance, you're talking about a form of slavery, right? You know, a form of servitude of holding another in bondage, right? If someone is like, we don't think of debt in this way today because we got credit cards, and you're like, yeah, I'll put on the credit card, pay at the end of the month, you know, that kind of an attitude. But but if you if you really realize what well what credit cards are, who's the who's the the Protestant finance guy that um, that is so um, well known? Um, oh gosh. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I know you guys all know about. who I'm talking about. Yeah. He's so Dave he's Ramsey. Really, Dave Ramsey. Ramsey. Really good. Yeah. And what's his big thing? His number one thing? No debt, baby. <laughs> Don't yeah. get into debt. Exactly. So you're in debt. You're 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 ultimately in servitude. The other owns you in a way, right? And the Lord is insistent on this because the whole of the Exodus, the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of the Bible, the whole of salvation history, the whole ball of wax is all about getting back into the image and likeness of God, which our first parents rejected, right? The story of the Exodus, the freedom out of Egypt, wasn't about freedom out of Egypt. It was about freedom out of slavery to the devil. And this is just one step in that process, right? To get us back in the image and likeness of God, which is why I love that you pointed out this, this verse, Annie, for you were once aliens yourselves in the land of Egypt. You were once slaves in the land of Egypt. And then the second four we get is at the very end of this passage, for I am compassionate. Well, Israel is, is meant to be, be living in the image and likeness of God. They're called out of slavery so that they can be the revelation of God who has just freed them from slavery, right? They can act in his image and after his likeness as a foothold into humanity, okay? Um, so if the Lord is compassionate, they also ought to be compassionate. If the Lord grants freedom, they must also grant freedom. That's the whole goal of the calling of God's people from the time of Abraham all the way to the coming of Christ and the incorporation of, uh, of, of humanity into this reality of who Christ is. We are to live in his image and after his likeness. So in each of these instances, okay, regarding the alien, right? The, the, the one coming to you from a foreign land. Hello? Israel going into Egypt, mm -hmm. right? Because you were once aliens, right? Or you shall not wrong a widow or an orphan, okay? One who is, has been, in some sense, divorced. It's another aspect of this whole business, right? Is the divorcing of God and his people. And that reality happening then in, God, in, the, in the lives of God's people. Israel is to go to the, to the widow as a representative of their husband, the divine yeah. husband, God, yeah. right? So in the image of the heavenly father to the orphan, this is Israel's calling. And it, it's no different than our calling today because it's a, it is the revelation of who God is living in his image after his likeness, St. Clement of Alexandria. Listen to this. There's a great deal about sharing and exchanging 
But it's not enough to say that the law forbids lending at interest to a brother. By brother, it means not merely one born of the same parents, but a member of the same tribe or one of the same faith who shares in the same logos, the same word, the same teaching, the same right instruction of how we are to live. The law does not deem it right to collect interest on the capital. It seeks to enable free giving to those in need, whose hands and minds with, with hands and minds wide open. God is the free is the creator of the free gift. It is he who shares his goods, exacting as the only reasonable interest the most precious things of human beings that human beings possess, and that is gentleness, goodness high-mindedness, repute, glory. So he he gives freely that we might also give freely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. When you think about what is the point of interest is to expect someone to pay you back, you know, like to, yeah. to create a condition in which somebody in a negative way, I guess you could say, has an incentive to pay you back what you have given. And that's exactly the opposite of what God is doing. So, yeah, and I, I think there's probably a lot of there. I know there's a lot of views on this in the political world. I, I know, you know, Chad Pecknold has talked about this in our poli sci course. There's different interpretations of this. And we might I might as well just just kind of maybe take one step into the into the quagmire of of uh, of opinion as whether a Christian can lend right. and charge interest. Right. And that's a complicated issue because there is such thing as inflation, which is different than it was in Egypt and, and Mount Sinai and things like that, right? So if I'm going to give to another, do I need to give and not receive enough building up of that gift so that when it's given back to me, I receive the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or is the problem when we're actually charging so that we're making money on the other person's poverty. That's where I think the problem comes in. Yeah. If we're starting to make money on another person's poverty, then we need to seriously examine how we're doing this this type of, of lending. Always with the question, am I living in the image and likeness of God who is given freely to me? I think that's enough of that because I'm going to get a bunch of phone calls of people <laughs> upset with me. Well, yeah. I mean, it is, it's an interesting debate to hear people go back and forth about it. Well, that's really all the questions I have about Exodus. Shall we look at, at Psalm 118? We're into Psalm 118 as a bridge now. Or I'm sorry, not Psalm 118, Psalm sorry. 18. Yes, yeah, Psalm 18 as a bridge to the gospel, which is going to bring us back mm-hmm. to the Old Testament. Okay. Mm-hmm. I debated whether we should look at this Psalm after the gospel today. Oh, interesting. But I think it's fine to look at it now, always making sure that we're holding just secure to that one principle that's so important in all theology, in all biblical exegesis, and that is that we are always to be theocentric in our interpretation. And if you're theocentric as God-centered, theos, yeah, is God in Greek, uh, theocentric, if we're always there, then we're going to be able to understand any passage quite easily. And like we just did here with Exodus chapter 22, the question why God's people are supposed to live a certain way is answered very easily if you come back to the question of who God is and then extend it to the fact that we were made in his image and after his likeness. Yes. So now we're going to turn to the, to the, um, to this passage, Psalm 118. I love you, Lord, my strength. 
Well, why, why is the love the center of my action toward God? Because John tells us that God is love, right? And love is the giving of my life to the beloved. I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you, Lord, O oh Lord, my strength. O oh Lord, my rock, my fortress, my deliverance. I'm going to share with you St. Diodor um, on this passage because it's quite beautiful. He says, the phrase I shall love does not mean I shall love you from this point on since you always provide me with many things. Rather, the tense has been changed. And the meaning is, my love and affection for you, my master, were always right and proper. I felt benevolence and longing for God. In fact, for he proved to be everything to me in time of need, strength in war, steadfastness and endurance, refuge in misfortune, rescuer from all schemers. So while even the opening of the psalm sufficed as a perfect hymn of praise, anyone with love for God repeatedly adopts the same sentiment as an intense form of thanksgiving when occupied in recalling God's graces. In a range of texts, in fact, he seems to recite and go over the same sentiments in the process of recalling every event from childhood to old age in which God provided him with help and support. I think this is very beautiful because it's 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 at the foundation, I believe, of so many of our sins. And I've said this before, but it bears repeating that I believe that the foundation of many of our sins is the sin of, of forgetfulness. That's forgetfulness of the gift of God's life. And so I become, I begin to begin to think that I have everything by right. And when I lose that which I should have by right, I become angry. I become frustrated. I become, I don't know what other sins you want to throw out there, but they're all there. They're founded here in this reality. Whereas the saint, me not necessarily being one at all times, considered <laughs> talking, thinking, I'm just describing myself right now. Feel it, man. Whereas I... the saint takes receives it all. And this, this was so beautiful about St. Theodore's insights. He says that the God has proved to be everything to me in, in time of need. That means he's not that I wasn't in need, but it was in the time of need, right? In the time of war, in the, when I was sick, when I went through all the trials of my life, I realized that everything I had was a gift from God. And the prompt response to the gift is to say, thank you. This is where the saint becomes joyful in, in difficulty, mm -hmm. right? I think St. Diodore, I think, was uh, St. John Chrysostom's teacher. Was he? About learning from the master. Well, there you, know? you go, Annie. I should have looked that one up before I read the passage. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for making me look like an idiot. And uh, I'm kidding, Annie. I'm kidding. That is no, that's the, wonderful. That was what I was going for. I was just thinking like St. John Chrysostom learns from this man. Yeah, and, totally. And he's a great example of what you're describing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So meditate upon that one, guys. God is love. I love him because of who he is and who he has called me to be in his image and after his likeness. And that mm -hmm. is one who loves. So let's take a look then at our gospel passage gospel. today in Matthew chapter 22, yep. verse 34. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. Indeed. I'm turning there, Annie. Don't go too fast. Here we go. Matthew chapter 20. I, got, I made it. Good. 
Excellent. 22 verse 34. All right, here we go. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. All right, it. just for like the context point, um, Jesus silenced the Sadducees. We didn't right. have this was the the last thing that we had in the Gospels was um last week the, was the caesar uh, business caesar right? business yeah render yeah. unto caesar what is caesar's and to god what is god right. so he was talking to like disciples of the herodians and the pharisees so yeah. i guess maybe it bears well it would be helpful i guess to know how jesus silenced the pharisees yeah because the pharisees and the and the or, and i mean the, the sadducees. sadducees yeah that's all right yeah. the sadducees the first sadducees disagreed on stuff the, but the primary divider Point. The primary one was regarding the resurrection. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so the Sadducees come in to try to get Jesus to come over to their side on this point, right? And so we get this Matthew chapter 22, verse 23. The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, mo- uh, teacher. Moses said, if a man dies, having no children, his brother must marry the widow. And then verse 25, now there were seven brothers among, okay, uh, you guys yeah, know the story, one. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know the story. They try to they try to trap Jesus, and then Jesus gives them the old one-two, just as he'd been doing. So remember, we're in Jerusalem, we've made Palm Sunday, he's in the temple, and now the gloves come off, and he's and he's coming after them. And they're coming after him, but every time they come after him, like they try to trip him up on the on the on the coin, right? The Pharisees try to trip him up on the coin and the Herodians. Then now the Sadducees come in and try to get their licks in, right? And then, mm-hmm. but everyone's watching this go on. So we come to verse 33. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So we know who the crowd is, right? The crowd's been watching this whole thing, and the Pharisees getting afraid of the crowd because it's a mob forming because the primary first and foremost because the pharisees who are in bed with the herodians are behind the killing of john the baptist Mm -hmm. and so the crowds love john the baptist so they hate the pharisees so jesus is is working that he's working the crowd and he's getting them riled up and the pharisees are getting afraid so now the sadducees come and try to get their moment in because they're going to try to get Jesus to join their team against the Pharisees, right? And so, but uh, of course, Jesus isn't going to fall into that trap. Right. So now verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard this, Sadducees got silenced. Yeah, now to come back in, back and forth. So you know the scene that's going on. And yeah. now we get this thing where they try to trip Jesus up. Yeah. Yeah. So why would this question be I asked you the same question last week. Like, why does this question seem to be something that they think is going to trip up Jesus? 
Okay. Well, that's a, that's a I think a, de- a debatable point, but I think the best explanation I've I've heard of this, um, I think it's it's the right explanation because ultimately they're going to crucify their favorite commandment. <laughs> What's that? Everybody has their favorite commandment. Right, right, right. No, no, no. The, the re- <laughs> because the the central problem here that they're going to try to get Jesus to do, they're going to try to make him make divine claims. Okay. And because in fact, it's, this is, this is what sets the whole, this whole thing in, 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 you know, whatever in the gospel of John, you can go there very quickly to the gospel of John. I could have probably found it in Matthew too, but it's just in my head. I can go there a little quicker in John. And that is John chapter five. Yes. John chapter five, verse 18. This was why the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also called God his father, making himself equal with God. Okay. okay. So what is the most important of the commandments, Annie? This, this is, this is, this is important. Let's, let's just, just, while we're asking that question, we're going to ask Jesus, what's the most important of the commandments? Okay. And there's a, there's a, a, a simple answer to that. I'm just going to hold my hand here in my Bible and I'm going to flip back to Exodus chapter 22 because we were there and um, we were looking at the commandments right there. Right there, chapter 20, verse 2, where we begin with the commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay. Why is this the most important? Because this is the entire purpose of the Exodus is to free them from polytheism and reintroduce them to monotheism. Okay. This is my brother's talked about this a lot in his Bible studies at, at the Institute, because the worship of God, the relationship with God is what's going to establish their ability to be live to live in his image after likeness. If if they mess that up, if their understanding of who God is 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 messed up, their identity of who they are is going to be messed up, right? Yeah. It, it, and this is this is maybe I'm going to just give a little we'll come back to this point. I'm going to give a little homiletic hobby horse modern application. Our moral life in our society is all messed up. And there's a simple reason why that's the case, because man has lost his vision of God. And once we lose that vision, we lose the vision of who we are. So, of course, we've got all this craziness going on. In fact, in fact, this is what St. Paul says. I'm going to go ahead and take one more step on my hobby horse in Romans chapter one. You can flip over there with me very quickly. Romans chapter one, right after Acts of the Apostles. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness uh, and wickedness of men, who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, 
and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Okay? And now, once they've done that, what is the result of this exchange of the one whose image likeness we have been made? Therefore, God gave them up to their lusts and their hearts into impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural, and their men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. There's Father Hezekiah's hobby horse to apply this text. Is once we lose the reality of God's the revelation of who He is, it is a very simple slippery slope to what Saint Paul says. And look around us, guys. And I'm going to take one step further. To say, even in some hallways of church hierarchies, there seems to be an exchange of the one true God for images of false idols. So no wonder in those same hallways we are uplifting despicable, disgusting, moral, what's the word I'm looking for? Impunities. Yes, whatever, <laughs> disgusting. And it's being held it up as okay. Yeah. But it's held up as okay because there's a breakdown in theology, right? Now, that's my hobby horse. I'm going back to the text. This is what is under attack. And the reason I think this is a good explanation is because of what St. Cyril of Alexandria says. You see, when you have a doubt, go to the fathers of the church. That's what he says. After the humiliation of the Sadducees, Jesus was highly regarded by the, by the crowds. The Pharisees, filled with envy out of immeasurable shamelessness, again were testing to him. Hypocritically asking if he might deliver a ruling concerning the first commandment. Okay? By doing so, perhaps Jesus would amend the commandment in a manner that might lead to an accusation against him. Okay? Yeah. But the Lord publicly reveals their evil. They were not coming to, uh, to have him interpret the law so that he might, they might benefit, but because they were seized by envy. So Jesus teaches that one should not measure out one's devotion, loving God in part, but also cling in part to the concerns of this world, which the Pharisees were doing. Yes, Jesus, I, I love this. He, he does this multiple times where like, you remember the woman caught in adultery and they yeah. wouldn't, it's the same story, same thing going on, okay? And all of a sudden their own sins, the same as the, as the coin, right? Their own sins are revealed right in front of them by the Lord. And so Jesus doesn't do what they're expecting him to do. And that is name the first commandment. Rather, he names the heart and center of the entire law as it is summed up in this famous passage known as the, 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 the great Shema, the, 
the um the uh well it's the great central prayer of the jews that comes to us from the book of deuteronomy and jesus here takes the famous passage in deuteronomy and couples it with a famous passage also in leviticus so let's just turn back there because some people might think some people might think oh this is really jesus is really doing cool jesus stuff he's teaching about love he's wearing his yeah. birkenstocks he's got the braid in his hair he's smoking the peace pipe no deuteronomy <laughs> chapter six is the famous passage here called the shema because why because it's the first word of this passage here or listen what did i say deuteronomy chapter six six yeah yeah there it is deuteronomy i'm so glad six, you're first, taking well, us here because four. i was gonna say like those of us who might be somewhat biblically illiterate might be thinking that Jesus just made this up. Like this is right. Right. Yeah, and no, like but, he but just he, came up with this. Yeah. But this is, the, here, here's the thing by saying, by doing this, by not following their trap, by, by quoting this passage, this is the, this is like, it's like for the Byzantines, the, the Jesus prayer. You guys know about the Jesus prayer. Oh, Lord yeah. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. It's like this prayer you just pray all the time, over and over and over again. It's it's the center and the heart of everything. And and so and so for the Jew, it's the same. So the crowds listening to Jesus would have gone, yeah. 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 And you morons, <laughs> the Pharisees. <laughs> so here it is. Chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be put upon your heart and you shall teach them diligently your children and shall talk with them and so forth. You're going to bind them, the signs in your, on your hands. Look at verse 8, okay? You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand and they shall be the frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost. Okay, this is this is the Jews take these very seriously. So you'll see the Orthodox Jews today, where they've got the the, the leather strap on their hand. They strapped it. They got a box on their forehead. We're gonna pull up a picture here of an Orthodox Jew, and oh, and, yeah. and you'll see this. And uh, you see that box on his head. Okay, so this is what they strapped, and in there's a little scroll. Okay, with these passages. So, well, hey, you got to give it to them. That would keep it. On the forefront of my mind, yeah. I guess. If well, I'm I mean, walking around of, with a box on my face all day, it's kind of like the the Coptic uh, Christians <laughs> in Egypt. They will the the really hardcore ones have a uh, they'll have a tattoo of the cross put between their eyes or on their oh, forehead, wow. so that they can never deny Christ. So if someone's going to attack them and try to kill them and say deny Christ, they can't deny him. Wow. Yeah. So they have it tattooed on their foreheads. So there's no way they're going to be a martyr for Christ. Wow. So. Yeah, yeah, similar. And then, of course, also Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. We're going to go there. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So there it is. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is bringing together the teachings of the Old Testament here that would have been known among the people and subverting or, or like, you know, taking when he's in the fight with the with the with the Pharisees this is back and forth. So you just got to see him in the in his context that he's doing this in and why this would have been a point of contention. Yeah. OK, so. Why? Well, now you basically answered, I was going to ask why 
the whole law and the prophets actually depend on these two commandments but maybe oh no no that's a great i want to okay okay this is good why icc junkies out there why are does the whole law and the prophets so the whole of the scriptures right because jesus doesn't have his new testament in front of him so he's just the whole of the he's giving the whole business right how is it and i'm going to say and the gospels and our whole christian life depend on these two commandments this passage that jesus says why why i'm putting you to the test why write it down mm-hmm. a piece of Angie, please bear, write this down and pause this thing see if you get the answer right okay now having paused this recording you're going to have written down these words god is love theocentric always and we are made in his image and after his likeness the whole of the law the whole of the prophets what man was supposed to do how we were supposed to act how we're supposed to live out what commandments were told that we're supposed to do is all based upon being in the image and likeness of god who is as john says love turn there very quickly with me to uh first john to first john chapter oh lord have mercy first john chapter 4 verse 16 first john chapter 4 verse 16 you got it annie i'm getting there all right yep, i'm here there you go first john chapter 4 verse 16 so we know and believe the love god has for us god is love And he who abides in love abides in God and God abides in. What does it mean to abide? Annie. To be a part of, to sit in, to rest in. Yeah, to to dwell in, right? To it. Yeah, to rest. Exactly. Good. So God is love and love is the giving of my life to the beloved. So he who abides in love abides in God for God is love. But love is the giving of my life to the beloved. So when I do this, I abide in God and he abides in me. And the Mm -hmm. two become one flesh. This is the marriage covenant between God and his people. This is why everything is summed up here. This is the foundation of every moral teaching of the church. I've said this before, and I think I said I've said it before on this this Bible study. But I'm going to say it again. Every moral teaching of the church is based upon this. Regarding how the church views our charitable life, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to act, why abortion, pornography, slavery, these are things which we don't do, right? Because they are not acts by which I give my life to the other. They are lives in which I cut off life, right? As I've said before, the church is pro-life because God is pro-life, because God has lived a life of loving communion from all eternity, pouring out his life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living a life of loving communion. We are meant for this life. Every action of the Christian must be for the life of the other, never for their death, never for their destruction. In fact, in fact, the teachings of the church regarding capital punishment are exactly this point, which is so frustrating why it's misunderstood today. Because the church knows that we have not only bodily life, but we have a spiritual life. And it's only our spiritual life that can give life to the body. Ultimately, if our spirit is not alive, our bodies and our spirit will be cut off from God. Yes? 
So capital punishment was used in the ancient world and, and it, it, even today to bring about the repentance of the soul so that life might be restored to the soul because the person is so fearful for the loss of the life of the body. That was the purpose of capital punishment. Never to get somebody back. That is not Christian justice. Christian justice always always restored him. What's the was it retributive? What's my yeah. word, Annie? Yeah, Retri- retributive. Yeah. yeah, it's not retribution. We don't put somebody in prison for ten years because that represents what they did to somebody. We put them in prison for ten years so that they can get right and be able to be reintroduced into society and live as a citizen, right? Capital punishment was for that purpose on an extreme level. The person was so disconnected from the spiritual life without fear of loss of of real life, of of the fullness of life, that they begin so focused on the body. That's the only thing that would snap them out of it to realize that they're going to die in their body. Therefore, they must get their soul right with God so that their body might have the opportunity for resurrection. But that is for another homily. (laughs) Okay, well, just for the sake of, um, I don't know, I think it would be interesting, even though I think people probably get this by now, but can you apply God is love to what we read in Exodus 22? Can we look at that and like you well, show us how? To, we're already turn back, turn back to because that's the part that we've already done and is so easy, right? So, so in in my relationship with every single person, the widow, the foreigner, the the orphan, the everything, right? The person who's who's been lent to in every relationship, it must be a life giving relationship. In every relationship, Israel, you must not act like Pharaoh, who enslaved you and killed your children. You must not act like the the slave master because the slave master ultimately is the devil. The slave master is the evil one who has put mankind into slavery. And you are to be freed from that, freed from Egypt, freed from the bondage of sin in which your relationships are broken. All of those relationships must now begin to be restored. Okay, so that's my answer to that. I'm going to leave you to St. John Chrysostom, and then we're going to run out of time pretty soon, Annie. This is the summit of virtue, St. John says. This is the summit of virtue, the foundation of all God's commandments. To To the love of God is joined also love of neighbor. One who loves God does not neglect his brother, nor esteem money more than a limb of his own, but shows him great generosity, mindful of him who has said, whoever did it to the least of my brothers did it to me. He is aware that the Lord of of all considers as done to himself what is done in generosity to the poor in giving relief. He does not take into consideration the lowly appearance of the poor, but the greatness of the one who has promised to accept as done to himself what is given to the poor. It's how beautiful that is, that, that the importance of this connection between love of God and love of neighbor. You can't have this broken apart. You No one can say they love God and not love their neighbor because if they truly love God, God will abide within them. And then you can say with St. Paul, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then God's life becomes my way of life, which is poured out for the salvation of the world. That is the calling of the Christian. First Thessalonians yeah. chapter one. In which he 
calls us to be imitators of the Lord. Bingo. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five through 10. Yes. First Thessalonians. You got it there. First Thessalonians, not second Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. First, first one. Chapter one, verse five through 10. All right, here we go. Brothers and sisters, you know what sort of people we were among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, receiving the word in great affliction with joy from the Holy Spirit, so that you became a model for all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves openly declare about us what sort of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to await his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the coming wrath. There you go. Turned from turned to God from idols, number one, and have become a model of all Christians, right? The model is the image and likeness business, right? Yeah. Uh, St. Saint, Saint Gregory of Nyssa. Thus, the obedient and responsive soul gives itself over to the virtuous life. This life is freedom itself on the one hand, and the chains of this life separating itself from slavery of base and empty pursuits. On the other hand, this soul devotes itself to faith in the life of God alone. Because it sees clearly that where there is faith, reverence, and a blameless life, there is present the power of Christ. There is flight from all evil and from death, which, which robs us of life. For shameful things do not have in themselves sufficient power to compete with the power of the Lord. It is their nature to develop from disobedience to, the, to his commands. This was experienced in ancient times by the first man. But now it is experienced by all of us when we imitate Adam's disobedience through stubborn choice. However, those who approach the spirit with honest intent, unfeigned faith, and an undefiled conscience are cleansed by the spirit according to the one who says, For our gospel was not delivered to you in word only, but in power also, and in the Holy Spirit, in much fullness, as you know. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.